0: Maximize your sense of aliveness. Gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page.
1: For Best friend to grow up around. Right. Welcome back. Thank you. Hi, wow. You guys look ready for a yoga class? Almost. Kind of. So yeah, thank you for that amazing introduction to the work we do and uh, the purpose of these gatherings on Monday night. I literally just got off a plane, literally came in from the airport after a two day journey back from North America. Uh, we kind of ran out of time, so I parked at the back parking lot and ran in here to see you guys, which is awesome. So uh, not my normal kind of entrance, so really thankful for Michael being here. Uh, but these nights don't have unnecessary direction. They're guided a lot by your questions, and they're guided by any material that people send in beforehand. Uh, I have lots of resources. I'm gonna pass around some cards. Maybe just take one and pass it on. Good. And uh, on here is a link to my website and also a Facebook page where I accept questions and recommendations for these talks and everything like that. I also record these talks. I'm not sure about tonight, we'll see how it goes but I put them up on a free podcast series that's available to you at all times so that you can be in Bali when you're not here. Uh, So tune into that, that little card is a good bookmark and your free pass to that stuff. And I wanna know if you have any questions now that Michael gave a perfect introduction to the quality of the work we do, this idea of raising the bar on health, this idea that uh, we are not meant to tick-tock, hit a certain age and get sick, That we have actually the power to prevent disease and also reverse disease. So yeah, some things you want to hear about. colonics? Colonics. You can definitely talk more about colonics. And I'll tell you what they are if you're like, what is she asking? About? Yes. yes. Okay. Anything else? I will. I'll definitely talk about that. Fantastic. Anyone else? Oh, I'm interested in the uh, natural hygienist diet, I Say so again? The natural hygienist diet. Today. Natural hygienist diet, yeah. As natural hygienists, we're specialists in fasting. the Right, food okay, food. yeah, for sure. But it's just funny because people often mistaken me for a nutritionist, which I would never want to be. It's a very reductionist, narrow-minded view of looking at the world and the things that we eat, and so they'll, they'll also, they'll, like I was just teaching in the United States a bit, it was my first time teaching there, I've been living abroad for more than 10 years, and so going back and of course teaching in arguably the sickest country in the world, there's some things that you go up against, and people kept saying that my talks were going to be about diet, and I'm like I, I really don't talk about diet i'm a fasting doctor if i were to talk about diet my advice is to eat more fruits and vegetables however many you think more is five times that do that first and then let's talk and there's so much more to help than just diet and humans get really misaligned and confused today by uh, focusing on diet right diet and exercise that's all we hear we do the exercise sometimes, forcibly, and the diet—you know—we'll go on a diet and stick to it for a certain period of time, and then have cheat days and things like this. And that—that that just means that you're functioning from a level of not understanding. It's not from a place of resonance where anything is going to have a deep impact upon your life's trajectory. So we—we we can talk a little bit, um, but there's not—I mean, of course when I start talking I can probably talk for like 20 minutes on it (laughs) in general there's not much to say a natural hygienist diet is one that's based in fruits and vegetables above ground plants in their natural state it doesn't really include animal products Uh, so this is what we would call like a vegan type diet although those labels didn't exist with the forefathers of naturopathy the natural hygienists 100 years ago And so this also correlates directly with the yogic diet. And so I've come back from the Americas. I was over there last month teaching a yoga teacher training in Peru. And so in yoga teacher training, we get to talk deeply about really what yoga is, because it's a lot more than warrior two, loved ones. (laughs) And so here at a yoga studio, I get the liberty to talk about things like the yogic diet, which is a plant-based diet. The synthesis of all of this, the the place that it all connects to, is the fact that when we simplify our diet as much as possible, and fruits and vegetables are indeed the fastest digesting foods, when we allow the body to only digest the fastest digesting foods and simplify the input, so no processed foods, no added chemicals, preservatives, sugars, etc., all of a sudden, the body has more time on its hands to spend toward healing. And that's why this is a disease that promotes health. Uh, sorry, this is a diet that promotes health and reverses disease. Sometimes my brain gets ahead of itself. <laughs> Does that make sense? Is it helpful a little bit? I eyes have to about what they're doing with the gut flora and stuff like that. Yeah. totally totally and when we look at that like actually the funny thing is that probiotics are you familiar with probiotics everyone Mm -hmm. good bacteria pro means positive. positive you knew that right and then biotic biotica latin it's it means life so this is positive for life or life benefiting probiotics well these probiotics that we're crazy about today, you say, science is finally catching up. Yeah, thank God the research is there. I'm founding a microbiome research lab with one of my dear friends who works in the field to really get deep in it because the science is a bit shallow for now. In general, we're really concerned about taking in the good bacteria, which is really good because we've taken in a lot of the antibiotic or against life. Who's had antibiotics? Most people in the room's hands should be up, if you're
0: honest.
1: If you're not, I want to meet your mother. But in general, yeah, we've taken lots of antibiotics, so probiotics are more than welcome. However, there is a caveat which not many people discuss. Probiotics can and will only implant in the gastrointestinal tract if they're welcomed by a healthy environment kind of like you can't plant a seed into dead soil same kind of concept probiotics cannot and will not stay in the colon or plant or start bacterial colonies unless you have a very beneficial pH, potence hertz, it's a test of the acidity or alkalinity of the colon as well as the small intestine any aqueous part of the body, any liquid based part of the body and then more than that Guess what gives you the necessary, let's say, components of the soil to be able to implant the probiotics? I'll give you two guesses. (laughs) Fruits and vegetables. Exactly. So wait a minute. We're super concerned with probiotics, but even if we take the probiotics and we don't have a healthy environment in the intestines, we're never going to be able to hold on or grow those good bacterial colonies unless we have tons of prebiotics before life, like soil. It's what's needed before life can grow. And prebiotics come from
0: fruits and vegetables.
1: Isn't that incredible? So it's, it's so simple. And the thing is that people today make health so complicated Who's read conflicting information on the internet before? Yeah, yes, probably everyone. And everyone's saying their own little thing and we're looking at things in a very narrow-minded view and not from a big picture perspective where we can start to connect things and make them work for us. And so we get lost into thinking, Oh, fat's bad for me, or sugar's bad for me, or I have to eat a lot of carbs, or I can't eat any carbs, right? All of those have been made as true statements in the past 20 years of health. And yet somehow they are mutually exclusive. We're talking about, I need more zinc, or I'm deficient in iron, or all these things. And yet when we look at the nutritional components of fruits and vegetables, they're not only balanced, on a macronutrient level, that's your fats, your proteins, and your carbohydrates, at the perfect level to promote health and dissuade disease, but they're also ripe in the micronutrients, which are all the vitamins and the minerals that you're aware of, or at least science is aware of for now, because science always outgrows itself, eh? Perhaps there are some minerals or vitamins that we haven't yet discovered. Let's I'll take a tangent to answer that one. Normally, when I do these rainy day specials and I open up the floor, I, I have three. So, we had one there, one here. Does anyone else have a topic that they want to hear about a little bit or questioning? It can be personal if you'd like. Candida. Candida? Many clients are coming. Ah, what a week, the week of Candida. So, does anyone know what that word means? It sounds like candy. It's quite funny. Yeah, so Candida albicans is one of the many bacteria that exist in the small and large intestine. In fact, Candida, it's, it's a normal part of our bacterial colonization. So it exists in everyone's gut. It also exists in the vaginal tract of females. And you might know this better off as thrush, if it tends to get overgrown. And so when we look at this specific type candida, we see that it needs to be in balance. Just like everything else in life, balance is health. And when candida starts to overgrow itself is when it starts to really help out the body. And this is the main misunderstanding of candida, is that it's actually aiding or benefiting, it's helping the body. Because guess what? As Michael told us at the very beginning, the body only wants to heal itself. And it's going to do anything it can to try. And so the thing is, this candida, the yeast, it starts to grow rapidly, rapidly, rapidly. And does anyone know what feeds a yeast? What would support that exponential growth of candida albicans? Show it again. Say it loud, sugar. Yeah, sugar. So sugar's of all kinds, more or less. Let's be fair. Whether it's a naturally occurring sugar in something like dates, or whether it's a white sugar, or whether it's a coconut palm sugar from Bali. All of them will have the right, more or less chemical structure to feed the yeast. And so, when the yeast grows exponentially, it's because it's eating all of the sugar out of the bloodstream. No, this is, I'm glad you asked, we'll get there. White sugar, sure. But I, I, I don't teach in terms of good or bad. I find it to be very unhelpful. Let's better understand why and then you can make your own decision what you feel good or bad is. In general, we're just figuring out why this bacterial colony can grow so fast because it has its diet or it has its food in rampant supply and it's trying to help out the body by clearing the sugar from the bloodstream, okay? Because the truth is, that sugar, it's meant to go directly to the cell. Has anyone, is anyone a school teacher in here? Or do you have kids? Some people in the back, something <laughs> do. Yeah, you know that when, when a kid specifically eats something, usually high in sugar, a good 10, 20 minutes later, they're running around like crazy in what we call a sugar high. Have you ever felt that in yourself? Yeah. Yeah, that spike in blood sugar levels. Well, that is the exact supply in excess of food required for Candida to go up exponentially and to reproduce and reproduce and reproduce. And they can double the colony in their size in 30 minutes. Three zero. That's really fast. Double in size. So if there was a thousand, there'll be two thousand. Individual little candy candida albicans, microorganisms, just like that. Well, the thing is, after they eat all the sugar out of the bloodstream, and if you're not consistently eating candy 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, then there'll be a point where they say, oh my God, there's no more food for us, and they start to die off, and they die off, and they die off. And guess what, you don't really realize, symptomatically, in your body, this overgrowth of Candida, the symptoms don't show until it's die-off time. After the exponential spike, once they start to die off, all of a sudden, you get symptoms like, are you ready, are you writing this down? Bloating. Headedness, confusion, could be any kind of skin disorder, rashes, could be thrush in other parts of your body, whether that's an itchy bum hole, or an itchy vaginal tract, or an itchy mouth, or a thick coating on the tongue. It could show up as certain flakes all over the body, if that's on the scalp, it looks like dandruff, if that's in the corner of the eyes, Yeah. If that's in the nails, fungus growing in the nails, etc., etc., etc. These are all topical, more or less, symptoms of that die-off of Candida albicans. Whoa, that doesn't sound like fun. I feel like everyone was just like, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> the big scary part. So yeah. yeah I came, I so. <laughs> we're tracing that It says should we keep them fed and keep them happy well the thing is that everything has its shelf life right everything will come to an end so if they're constantly at a high level in the body guess what you go to sleep you might go to sleep and wake up anyone wake up with crust in the corners of your eyes that's not something that's actually normal That's a sign that the body's rebalancing itself bacterially and releasing excess, like Candida. So, something very interesting to think about. If you come join me for one of the fasting programs, you'll notice that during the week of fasting, where we allow the bloodstream and blood sugar and every other level, whether it's hormonal or bacterial in the body, we let it balance out. That's what happens innately. During a fast, you won't wake up with crust in the corner of your eyes. That's interesting. So if we trace back in time and we say, wait a minute, what would be the advice, perhaps the dietary advice, for someone who's experiencing these spikes in candida and the subsequent die-off of candida albicans resulting in the symptoms, what would be dietary advice for them? Anyone have a guess? Okay, fasting, totally. He's, he's a smart one. He's ahead of the game. You have to cut sugar out. Oh, well, now we're looking at pretty much the mainstream alternative health advice, which would be to cut sugar out of the diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I have any Aussies in here, there's that great, well, I won't say great because I haven't read it myself. But that recommended to me by client's book called I Quit Sugar Have you heard of it? Yes? No? Aussies? No? None of you have heard of it? There's a book called I Quit Sugar I just like the title And I like the fact that they're referring mostly to white sugar Although she does say some things about fruit that I don't agree with But in general, this idea that white sugar Is the equivalent of an entire forest of sugar cane chopped down, refined, milled, bleached white, and put into a bag to be shipped all around the world. Well, there's no way that we could eat an entire forest of sugarcane, so our body simply doesn't understand that. So it results in a lot of confusion, imbalance in the bloodstream, and most notably, inflammation, which is excess blood flow to the area. It's the body trying to heal itself. And among other things, eating that kind of white sugar, gula pasir, we say here in Indonesia, table sugar, will definitely result in these spikes or the overgrowth of candida. I've read studies, you ready for this? That women specifically, because they tend to have a less strong, let's say, immune system than men, unfortunately. Women in the developed or the Western world eating a western or a developed modern diet up to 95% of them will have this overgrowth in candida albicans. That's how imbalanced we are as a society. Isn't that crazy? And a lot of that has to do with the fact that sugar is just so normal. Who ate sugar today? I got some honest people in the back. Yeah, a few of you were like, I don't, I don't know, frankly, you won't know most of the time. Guess what, if you eat at restaurants, I promise you, you eat sugar quite regularly. And all of the sauces, whether it's bottled or not, even if you're with a five-star chef, guess what? Sugar is an in, a very important part of chef school, not that I've been to chef school. <laughs> I'm a fasting specialist. But you know that little sweetness used all the time everywhere. It's often hidden in names like corn syrup. I mean, even fake sugars,
0: yeah.
1: glucose syrup, glucose solids, et etc. Et sweetener, whatever it is. And so first of all, white sugar. So when you say the dietary advice is to stop eating sugar, hopefully we'll stop this feeding of the overgrowth of the bacterial population, of the yeast colony. Okay, yeah. That white sugar, I totally agree with. However, the thing is, our brain, ladies and gentlemen, runs off of glucose. Simple sugar. Sugar at its simplest form. And when it comes into the body, and mind you, white sugar that I'm talking about is sucrose. I think I gave, there's a podcast on my website, I must have given the lecture almost a year ago now, all about sugar and about a lot of these topics. It's much more in depth and just in general, we can summarize it now to see that sucrose is the compound version of sugar. It's both glucose and fructose together. Glucose is going to be processed directly by the body Fructose has to be processed through the liver. So it's a bit more of a difficult, let's say, situation or requirement from the body. So when we have table sugar, of course, the body has to work a little harder to break it down. But in general, almost everything that we eat, even if it's a hunk of flesh, of meat, will be broken down into glucose, into this simple sugar to feed our brain. So when you give me that dietary advice to cut out my candida and say, stop eating sugar, I'm gonna turn around and say, that's really great, and I agree fully on the white sugar part, but we can't stop eating sugar because everything we eat breaks down into sugar in the human body. Isn't that crazy? That's how we literally feed ourselves and run our brain. And so, what then should we think about? Remember this spike in the blood sugar levels, all of that? But even if we go one step back even further, and remember the kid who ate some candy and then had that sugar high? We learned, we came to understand from our own experience that sugar is supposed to go directly through the bloodstream to the cell. So the problem is not what kind of dietary advice should we give, rather it should be a little bit more about asking the question why is there this spike, why is there too much sugar in the bloodstream? Shouldn't indeed that sugar be passing directly through the bloodstream to feed the cell immediately? Why do we have sugar suspended in the bloodstream? Did anyone think of that? (laughs) One person. That's the real question to ask and that's the thing. That's why what I often say about Candida and I I like to consider myself a world specialist on this if I'm gonna call myself a world specialist on anything is because very few people are asking this question and yet it's asking that question that has helped me find the most success in pausing and reversing This overgrowth of candida albicans. So, what would cause sugar to stay in the bloodstream, to not let it go through? Just too many calories are eating too much. So this is is an interesting idea. So it can't get through. So too many calories, I like that idea. Often, a, a concentration of calories comes from which macronutrient? Sugar, fat, or protein? Carbohydrate, fat, or protein? From actually fat, right? Most calories from fat. If you were to look at a normal nutrition table, it's easiest to get calories, which are just units of energy that we intake. They're easiest or most abundant, let's say, coming in the form of the macronutrient fat. So, for example, one tablespoon of oil, any kind of oil, one. one tablespoon of oil will have more or less roughly. 100 calories, all from fat. Oil is not a whole food. It's the most commonly misunderstood health food, quote unquote, I don't consider it a health food by any means. It's the most commonly mistaken processed food that there is, it's not a whole food. So, yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, So when we look at this, We say, okay, wait a minute, she's on to something, ladies and gentlemen. If we have too much fat in the bloodstream, all of a sudden that sugar cannot pass through. Now tell me this, have you ever washed dishes? Have you ever washed dishes after a night when you had a really oily meal? Is it easy to get the oil off the plates? No, I, I know this is something you've all done, you can relate to. I mean, maybe, the little girl's left the room, so everyone's washed dishes. <laughs> yeah? We know that fat has a tendency to clog things. That's really what it does. For example, if you were to take some of the locally produced coconut oil from here in Bali with you home to your respective countries, perhaps in the far north or far south latitudes where it's a little bit colder, you would find that that oil to solidify and actually harden. That's how much you can think of the congealing factor. So don't be surprised that when you have a higher amount of fat in the diet, and I'll say really anything higher than 10% by nutrient value, so 10% of your calories coming from fat, more than that will result in a similar clogging in your bloodstream this has been something that i've been doing a lot of experimentation with this year specifically everything that i say has been experimented on my own body as well as thousands of clients. and so if you want to hear more about that and for example how it affects your yogasana practice i gave a lecture a few months ago about that it was a, it was a well-received one and it just released i think two weeks ago on my podcast series so you can check that one out because it makes a huge difference the amount of fat in your bloodstream. We call these triglyceride levels, usually. And so, in general, it's the fat in the bloodstream that's causing the sugar not to be able to pass through to get to the cell. Thus, the spike in the bacterial colony, the the yeast, yeast, Candida albicans, because it only wants to help you, remember? It's a friendly part of your normally existing environment. And so it goes, just like soldiers, quickly reproducing, eating all the excess sugar out of the blood, and then dying off, coming back to balance. And then we see that this candida that's often put on as the devil, right? People think candida's horrible. It's actually our friend. It's really our family. It's part of our internal environment, and it's there to help us. So, what would the dietary recommendation then be for someone who's experiencing these symptoms of Candida die-off? Not only to perhaps stop eating white table sugar and other processed sugars, but what else? Greatly reduce the amount of fat in your diet. In fact, if you have quite acute symptoms, then I would recommend that you even stop all fat intake at all, for three days. Only have things that are steamed or boiled. You can eat fruit, vegetables, for three days. And notice the difference. In the food there is sugar. So yes, there is sugar in the fruit for sure, but the thing is that the sugar in the fruit is very different than chopping down the entire sugarcane forest and eating it all at once. You see there's a concentration there where there's no fiber. But in fruit, for example, a mango. It's almost mango season here in Bali. We have sugars, largely fructose, suspended in a cellular fibrous matrix. So there's all this fiber and all this water that's going to slow down not only the amount of sugar, but the concentration in which it goes into our body. And so it's effectively safe because you can't really eat too much fruit because it's so water-containing, your stomach would be full before you got there. Now let's say a mango is very different than a dried mango. What's the difference? Did you say there's sugar on the outside of a dried mango? Only if they're produced in the Philippines. <laughs> there's no water. That was the answer that I was leaning toward. Yeah. So there's no water in the dried mango. So all of a sudden, right, that matrix of water and fiber has been greatly altered. And there is a certain kind of concentration there. Right? I might only be able to eat three or four big, whole, ripe, juicy mangoes. But I can eat 10 or 14 dried mangoes you see that? That's kind of like eating the forest. So not all fruit is the same, let's say. And really, we want to eat foods in their whole form, right? A la the natural hygienist diet. And as for your point on raw food and putting oil in raw food things, raw foodists are not necessarily whole foodists. And Indeed, actually, they're often not. And they're combining lots of different processed foods, even though they're good quote-unquote good plant matter coming originally from whole foods, they're processed and derived and mixed together in in way too many ingredients, if you ask me. In May, I did a raw food experiment. I've been speaking down about the modern raw food diet for many years, uh, but it was one thing that I spoke about that I didn't have distinct experience with in my own body. So I took a month of self-torture I would say (laughs) and and I saw the physiological changes in my body of what happens when you eat the modern raw foodist diet which is very different than the raw foodist natural hygienists 100 years ago my teachers and this modern diet caused a state of lack of health in my body largely because raw foodists are getting on average ready for this 60 percent calories from fat, from all the nuts and seeds. All right, so I don't mean to discourage you from, from raw food. I mean, we have great options here down in the cafe, the raw food options. But the thing is, whether it's a raw pizza, lasagna, or key lime pie, it's going to digest. Like pizza, lasagna, or key lime pie. So if you want to hear more about the modern and raw food movement, that podcast was definitely released earlier in the summer. You can listen in there. Uh, I do want to spend the rest of the time I have to talk about the question back there about colonics. Um, I don't know if you had anything more on Candida that you wanted clarification on. Yeah, well, I think that was, that was a, you know, Okay. That's a big one. I you you'll know, hear it a that's lot, a whether or not you have to deal
0: with it, but people talk about it. A lot of misconceptions, so. A lot of yes.
1: misconceptions.
0: Just the fact that you have just
1: learned that this whole sugar thing, that there's a little bit more to it with the fat. That's we just saved like, you 10 years. <laughs> and that's going to be, yeah, seriously, that is a huge key, because it's not only you can do that in fungus, but next time you're not feeling well, viruses, bacteria, fungal things, think about that. Lowering the fat ratio it's going to save you a lot. And it really all stems in uh this balance so I, I, this isn't really dietary advice it's more like macroscopic but if we were to combine these things to give some advice the number one thing that i would give is hydrate more and in most of my lectures this is the first thing i talk about three liters which is three of these bottles like the get from above this is the amount of water that the body loses and uses simply by waking up in the I mean, that's the minimum we need to replace. Most of you, I know, because I have a lot of hard data on this, don't drink that much. And so, modern humans are walking around in a state of chronic dehydration. That's like the U.S. government's budget. Yeah. Chronic deficit. <laughs> and so, if we're walking around constantly and laugh, we're never really going to be able to strive for this place of, balance or health. Because we're made of 60 to 90% water and if we don't have that, then we're not going to be able to detoxify naturally. We're not going to be able to rapidly circulate the fluids of the blood and the lymph through the body in order to nourish or in order to pass the hormones to the cell, etc, etc, etc. Nothing will work if the stream isn't a-flowing. So that's number one. So this. More lifestyle advice and dietary advice would be to hydrate, secondarily would be to poop more, and I have tons of podcasts on that, colonics, when we get into talking about this, we'll give you some hints to this. The third thing would be to ramp up the amount of probiotics or good bacteria that we have in our system, and this is not only from the probiotic pill or capsule that you might get, it's almost more importantly, in food form. So some probiotic foods you might know are things like kimchi, which I just brought back. I was in Taiwan this morning, and I brought back for Michael. You can hold it up? Some Korean kimchi made in Korea. Yeah. Things like miso from Japan. They have. I was just in Iceland a month ago, and they have a fermented swordfish or shark meat. Not swordfish, shark meat that they actually bury under the ground and ferment, and they eat little pieces of it. It could be things like kombucha you might have heard, this Russian tea. Here in Indonesia we have tapé, it's fermented cassava. There's also rujak, which is a, a form of unripe fruit, which I'm not so crazy about, but it's made with a sauce that's tamarind that's been fermented. Yeah? So we have fermented foods all over the world, everywhere we look, because after a certain period of time, humans started realizing this good bacteria that results from the process of fermentation. Beer and wine don't count, by the way. (laughs) That these good bacteria are really beneficial to balancing out our health. So ramping up the amount of probiotics. So if I have this concrete advice, it would be hydration, pooping more, ramping up intake of probiotics every day. And then fourthly, is that a word? Fourthly, now it is. Fourthly, (laughs) it would be to bring this all together, right, through balancing out the macronutrient ratio, eating more fruits and vegetables, which are naturally low, in fat. Yeah.
0: I have a question. On the
1: hydration piece, what color should our pee be? Because yeah. if it's
0: completely clear, that's not necessarily...
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Super great question. So this, I'm going to ask you a question in return. I always like to do this what kind of water are you drinking? Because that's gonna affect it. The thing is, most water today, for example, unfortunately, the water that we have here in Indonesia, although this, I think this is Taiwan's water. <laughs> I still have my bottle. But uh, in Indonesia, we have water that's been put through a process of reverse osmosis, which is an incredibly effective filtration process, so effective indeed that it also takes out all of the minerals from the water. So it's effectively demineralized water, and the thing with that is that when you take in what I would call like a naked water, water really without anything in it, it's going to literally just wash through your body and just pass through. Your body's not going to be able to hold on to anything at all. Does that make sense? What we use besides the water. Yeah, and so the result of that will be that your urine will often be clear because it's just washing straight through you. Do you see that? So you might be really great in drinking your three liters, but if it's not a high-quality water, and the kind of water that we're meant to be drinking, is all animals on this planet, humans and animals, is natural mineral spring water. Spring water. And if you guys have ever been to a natural spring, you know how different it tastes. I would encourage all of you to become water snobs. People are really good at wine tasting today. I wish that they had water tastings, because you can truly taste the difference. And so for example, here in Indonesia, because obviously we live here, and unfortunately the water table has been so polluted in in Indonesia from the Green Revolution, which sounds really good, but unfortunately it's not. All throughout the 1970s, all of these chemicals, petrochemicals and fertilizers came in from the West to give us monocropped fields of one genetically modified white rice variety. All those chemicals seep down into the water table. And so even though there's many natural springs in Bali and we have lots of spring water Well, it's been toxified by the chemicals. And so even spring water, like I get spring water delivered to my house here But even that is often put through the process of reverse osmosis So the minerals are still taken out So what we do, and this is really an intermediate scenario for water specifically, I recommend everyone go to a website by, by Daniel Vitalis called findaspring.com and you can write that down if you want or ask me later. But it's a map of the whole world and springs all over the world. What if you could get a bunch of big, you know, maybe 20 liter jugs, four or five of them, drive out into the countryside once or twice a month and fill up your own spring water living Mineralized water It's pretty amazing So that's the ultimate solution In the interim There's these drops that we have Michael can hold up mine I add this to all water I drink Because I want my body to reabsorb it This is a trace mineral drop That we, have, we get here from Actually from the United States From Utah, from the Great Salt Lake And these create the water To be once again like spring water So that the body can actually absorb it so now that we understand that, to answer your question about what color should your urine be, if it's dark in color, then you know that you're dehydrated. right? If it's even orange or red in color, you know that there's something medically going on in the body that perhaps is imbalanced. So it should be, let's say, a lightly colored yellow. Pretty steady. And it'll get clearer when you're more hydrated and darker in times like the morning, etc., etc. All right, so I'm gonna spend uh, the rest of the time talking about colonics as requested and the kind that we practice here. From number one to number two, we'll talk a little bit uh, about the necessity to remove waste from the body, because it's pretty clear. Uh, And the first thing I'll I'll say is what is a colonic and then we'll go into why. Colon hydrotherapy, which is something as old as ancient civilization, The ancient Egyptians were the ones to invent colonics, as I learned from Michael. The Egyptian pharaoh had a personal colon hydrotherapist on staff. Isn't that amazing? So when you guys are pharaohs one day, make sure to get your own colon hydrotherapist. That is astounding, because even two, three, four, five thousand years ago, we saw the desperate need to remove Toxic waste from our body And the world then was much cleaner than it is now So why do we need colon hydrotherapy? hybrotheraphy Wait, I didn't finish What is colon cleansing? It's simply putting water in and getting waste out Of the large intestine Okay You put something up your bum You wash some water in and you get some poo out End of story We're clear on that? You guys didn't seem to think that was funny. I thought it was pretty funny. (laughs) Okay, anyway, so when we have water in and waste out, that's really mission accomplished. That's what we're looking for in colon hygiene. It can also be done with a mini colonic, which is called an enema. It's something often you administer yourself. It can come in a bag form or even in like a little bowl. Just squeeze some water up there. And this is often used to trigger a bowel movement or to cleanse. An enema kit was something super common two generations ago. Perhaps you remember your parents or your grandparents. I remember my grandfather had one hanging up all the time. Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, used enemas with every single patient he saw. This was a common practice in hospitals, even colon hydrotherapy all throughout the 1800s and early 1900s. But then, dun dun dun, the 1930s come. We have some political decisions in the United States which cause a different approach to health that involves interest in money. And the pharmaceutical industry is born. And so the idea of doing all of this with water, what you could do with a pill, like a laxative, you can make money off of one, you can't make money off of the other. And so, Colon hygiene was swept under the rug And that's why you come in here And don't know what it is Even though it was something that was so integral To our civilization Humanity and civilization To our health All the way until 80 years ago More or less So that's what it is Colon hygiene Why would we want to do it? Why were the ancient Egyptians Practicing this colon cleansing? Why was the Greek Father of modern medicine, Hippocrates, using enemas with every single patient? Because, guess what? If you want health, you have to have a clean environment. And I don't mean sterile. I mean clean. I mean balanced, bacterially. Often sterile will mean wiping out all bacteria. Even though half or more of bacteria is good and needed to help. And that's the problem with antibiotics. And mind you, after taking antibiotics is often when we see an overgrowth of candida because the good bacteria aren't there to promote a healthy, balanced environment. So, in terms of why is colon cleansing necessary, simply because we're all walking around like cesspools. Heaps of shit. The human body is meant to be pooping once per meal per day. That should be news to most of you who haven't met me before. Three times a day. Something goes in, something should come out. Just like babies. Just like dogs. How many people poop three times a day? We're going to ask the good question. The two colon hydrotherapists in the room. And that guy. Love you. Everyone can go asking his secret after. But look at that. I mean, my data shows that 90 to, I mean, this is a 95% of the world is constipated. And your definition of constipation is likely different than mine. Yours probably involves some grunting. Mine just involves going less than once per meal per day. But guess what? That means that we're putting something in and something's not coming out. And that's what we call a problem because you might not notice it a few days in, but maybe a few years in or a few decades in. We all of a sudden have so much waste filled up, not only in the colon itself, in the large intestine, but at a cellular level. Because guess what, if the rubbish bin down there is full, then the mini rubbish bins here can't empty. deep. And when we have a buildup of cellular waste, this is when disease starts to brew. So the levels of toxicity that people are walking around with in their body just by not coping. We're not even including the fact that people are dehydrated or that our world is way more toxic than it's ever been. Or that, for instance, uh, I don't know, maybe we take in things like pharmaceutical medications or we take in additives and preservatives in food, we take in food that's wholly unnatural, all of that's gonna have a toxifying effect on the body as well. We take in larger amounts of drugs and alcohol than have ever been seen before throughout the animal kingdom. (laughs) Yeah? Have you ever thought of that? Alcohol, guys? What is it called to be drunk? Not only inebriated, but how about intoxicated? Intoxicated. Does that click? And so all of a sudden, we're voluntarily toxifying ourselves, even though we live in a way more toxic world than has ever existed. Our thoughts and our stress levels create toxicity in our body even though we're pooping less than we ever have before. We're like putting all factors against us. No wonder we're losing this race against disease. Does that make sense? And so getting toxicity out of the body by way of colon hydrotherapy is literally single-handedly the most effective way that I've found to empower detoxification in the human body. Our teacher says that with one really effective method or uh, treatment, let's say, for one, one time, one session of gravity, Woods method, colon hydrotherapy, one session can equal up to a year of your life in toxicity washed away. And you see it, you feel it during the session. Quite often people say things like, there's still shit coming out of me? Or where is that all coming from? Because right, There's a view tube there, you get to see what's coming. And often it's cute, because then the tube will clear for a little bit, right, Michael? And they'll say something like, oh, it must be clean now, right? <laughs> Which is really sweet, because I, over the summer I was fasting for a long time, for 47 days. The a 47 day juice feast, yeah, I was having juice. And on day like 46, 47, you know, I was still having colonics and the tube was black. And I hadn't taken anything in for almost two months. And I've been cleansing for about 15 years. So we all have tremendous amounts to release. And our best bet to prevent disease, which is not a guaranteed part of life, mind you. That's crazy that people think that things like cancer are just random. Or, oh, poor him, he developed this disease, and they don't ask why, or don't feel that they have any control as to its development. Studies have finally, science has admitted that cancer develops in the body up to 20 years before it's ever seen in a clinical setting. What is that cancer 20 years before? It's toxicity and yourselves. So if I could leave you with three words of advice, they would be start pooping now. (laughs) And so we are at time, so I will leave you with those words of advice, but I just wanna finish answering your question specifically to let you know about the kind of colonics that we practice here, because not all colonics are the same. I actually wouldn't recommend about 80% of the colonics in the world today, unfortunately colonics coming from a machine Have pressure involved. It's a little bit like having a garden hose stuck up your bum. There's risk there There's not a very therapeutic ability What we practice here is all managed by the therapist him or herself And it's an actual therapy. So not only does it get water in and waste out That's what all colonics do, but there's no risk involved And the therapist is pumping on the tube. So if you guys go see Michael for a colonic, which I highly recommend, he's our senior therapist here. And uh, it's hard to get an appointment with him. He'll be pumping the tube. And that pumping of the tube is sending a message. It's communicating with your large intestine, with your colon, to re-stabilize what we call peristalsis, It's the muscular action that helps you poop. Most people's muscles are a little bit flabby. Sound familiar? That one's flabby down here, if the muscle in your arms is flabby too, or in your thigh, or wherever else. And so, we could all use a little lifting weights of the colon, that rebuilding. That's the second intention of the Woods Method gravity colon Hydrotherapy that we practice. The third then, which again goes way above and beyond colonics that you'll find elsewhere, is that we try to get water to the far end of the bowel place called the cecum. This is the most toxic part of the body. And this is the one year worth of toxins if we can flush it out and release it. And you know when it comes, it's kind of like an atomic bomb mudslide. Quite often people get goosebumps or chills or they feel feverish or nauseous right before it's about to release. And that's pretty undeniable. And after that, there's this great sense of relief. And the thing is that colonics are not a one-off experience, and this is the number one misunderstanding I think about people in pollen therapy today, that they think it's just like, oh yeah, now wash some water in once every two years, get some waste out, and I'm good to go. Not at all. Day forty seven of Juice Fast. Black two. <laughs> There's so much in there. It will take more than one shovel of digging to get it out. And quite often, when this empties, the body goes to refill it again, this toxic part of the colon. Seed. And so, Wood's method colon hydrotherapy is not only therapeutic, where it's actually rebuilding, rehabilitating you to poop better off the table, whereas most colonics, because of the garden hose and the pressure, they'll weaken the colon and creating a dependency upon colonics. This strengthens you to make sure that you're not dependent. It's meant to also be done in a series because it's deeply detoxifying. A full series is 12 to 15 sessions. I know that you might not be along around here in Valley long enough to get all of those. Come back. This coming year, Michael's starting an amazing program to be able to give over two months' time that 15 series. And that's a completely change-your-life kind of experience. You can ask Michael or myself about these success stories. We've had people who poop once a week, and they leave here after their 15 series, pooping two to three times a day. What did they just change? In their chances of developing disease. Everything. They no longer made themselves a candidate for breast cancer or whatever other autoimmune disease or whatever it might have been in their unwritten future.
0: But the what they change was food.
1: So the food, the diet is a smaller part of it, right? Again, this advice, of more probiotics, hydration and fruits and vegetables. It's that simple. It's not that they're only eating raw foods, right? It's that they're focusing on elimination. And so, to finally answer your question, what we do here goes far above and beyond other colonics. This is a style of colonics that's not really found commonly in the world. Um, I would highly recommend that you take advantage of being here and trying the colonics here. We intentionally keep the price much lower than you would find it in the West. I was just in New York City where they charge 150 to 250 dollars for a colonic, right here. I think it's like 60 or less. Yeah. And to try it, because the thing is, hearing me is one thing; experiencing it is what really leads to believing, and that this is indeed one of the most impactful, if not the most impactful, actions—actual therapeutic hours of sessions—that you can do that can truly change something to prevent disease and empower your health. So thank you for asking. Thank you all for being here. And thank you for opening your minds a little bit beyond uh, perhaps the mainstream, even mainstream alternative.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now.